Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Friday, September 9th, 2022. And our top story today, the role that ESG and sustainability play in the decision to invest in real estate. Today's show is powered by the Defined Contribution Real Estate Council. To learn more about the DCREC, its members, and its mission, visit www.dcrec.org. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Kea Murray is with P. Jim Real Estate, and Tom Enger is with UBS. Kea, Tom, thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Here. It's great to see you both. All right, Kay, I want to start with you because, you know, if you take into consideration both building and operational impacts, real estate makes up about 40% of global greenhouse emissions. And that doesn't come from me. That comes from several sources. Um, I want to start with how the real estate industry takes into account ESG and sustainability. Sure. So I think the best way to approach this question is just to give you a little bit of a background on our process. So I'll start with development. At PGM Real Estate, we typically don't develop assets on our own. We work with best in class, you know, regional um, and national developers when we are working on development projects. So part of our analysis on whether or not to move forward with the deal includes a thorough ESG risk and opportunity review, and um, which is then also presented to our investment committee. And we work with our development partners to seek green building certifications, um, we uh, include more sustainable features such as on-site renewable energy, uh, energy efficient building systems, and then we try and future-proof um, our assets to include things like uh, EV charging stations and then more EV uh, charging infrastructure as needed down the line. So that's really what we do on uh, the development side. In terms of operation of an existing asset, we are continually looking to improve our portfolio on an annual basis, and we do that through the budget process. So we collect property level emissions data uh, for the majority of the assets that we own, and we use that information to help identify top candidates um, for energy audits, and then we use that audit information to determine where we're gonna invest in terms of uh, capital improvements. Um, and so we require all of our assets to go through an energy audit um, at least every year, but we're typically doing so more often. Um, and so I'll give you the example for this year. Uh, we did a large audit with uh, all of our self-storage um, properties in the fund. So we're auditing nearly 100 self-storage facilities in collaboration with our operating partner, which is Extra Space. And we're making all of the low-cost recommended audit actions this year. And then we budgeted, and we are in the process of putting that in the budget for 2023 to make all of the higher-cost measures next year. Thank you, so Kai. Yeah, thank you. And, and Tom, I want you to pick up on that but but also drill down, does it matter what type of property it is? Is it, is it just office? Is it storage like uh, Kea was saying? Yeah, that's a great question. And how you incorporate sustainability is easier on some properties. And, and some of that comes down to control. Uh, an office property would typically be the easiest because you have tenant leases that you can negotiate a lot of 
ESG. We have green leases. We're, we're on our third version of, of green leases with tenants. Uh, it, it's harder with industrial tenants and retail tenants because they pick space for other factors, for more location driven or where it fits in a supply chain uh, than a, an office tenant might. And if we go back to when we started our policy in 2006, we started it with just office properties. And it was very basic of uh, green cleaning, uh, recycling, uh, pursuing Energy Star and, and LEED certifications. I mean, it was that simplistic back in 2006. It's gotten a lot more complicated. Um, Grez batted a lot when it became prevalent in about uh, a decade ago. And that put a lot of uh, measurement uh, into the equation. Uh, and that morphed into a focus on social and resilience and, and everything's added on into your sustainability policy. And, and now that with transition risk and physical risk and social all added, that the data collection has gone way up. So I think a, a big part of our practice is, is getting the data and getting data of properties where you know, the bills may be in the tenant's name not your name, it's it's far more difficult to get that and, and implement improvements. Uh, so it does matter. And I, like I said, is the more control you have, the easier it is to implement what you need to do. Tom, just a, as a follow to that, I know you're both weighing in here on ESG and, and the importance of sustainability. Um, let me ask you about shareholders and investors. Are they, how are they expressing their interest and in, and in, um, in, in these types of issues like ESG, sustainability, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is this important to them? And how do they express that to you? Well, I think a lot of it starts with the, the first interaction with a lot of clients may be a, an RFP that you get. And I would say now the two most prevalent questions are, how are we incorporating climate risk or uh, climate change into our investment process. That, that's probably how it starts out. And you need to have a, a great answer for that. And we've fully integrated at UBS here, uh, kind of a, a TCFD, I, I guess I lose, I'm the first one to use an acronym, the uh, Task Force <laughs> on <laughs> okay. uh, Climate Related Financial Disclosures, which you know, that's one of the problems with uh, sustainability nowadays is the amount of acronyms continues to grow. But it's a, basically a, a new risk framework that includes physical risk, which is how you're incorporating uh, physical factors such as global warming, sea level rise, increased flooding in your investment process, and transition risk, which is the risks associated with moving to a lower carbon environment. Uh, so a lot of the questions aren't quite that sophisticated yet. They're more of the general climate change question, but yeah, clients are really caring, uh, both prospective clients and new clients. Yeah, and yeah. I would say at this point, most of the social questions aren't asked as much about uh, the property level investments, but what we're doing as a company, and it's more what is UBS's senior leadership breakdown of diversity, not, you know, what's the diversity of our property managers and, and, and partners per se. Uh, but one thing we did start doing two years ago is we do track the diversity of all of our vendors at the property level. Uh, at this point, mo mostly to make sure we have the data and know that we're acting in a responsible manner and we're adding that into the equation for capital approvals. Yeah. And, and, and Kay, I wanna come back to you and on, on this question too, uh, get your thoughts, but also, 
Are you seeing shareholders express more of an interest on climate-related issues, which I know have been in the media, or are they also focused on, as Tom was indicating, things like diversity, equity, inclusion, whether it's the property or your firm uh, and what your, your firm is doing to uh, address some of these issues? Sure, absolutely. Investors are very focused on the E and ESG. And also, increasingly, we are getting more and more questions about the S, and that tends to present itself um, in terms of DEI, of what we're doing here at PGM Real Estate, and also health and wellness at our assets. And so, Jeff, I asked um, my PGM Real Estate team to pull some data because we collect a lot of data. So I just thought I would share, um, you know, we've seen a dramatic increase in investor focus on ESG. And so our uh, ESG related questions have increased by 345% in 2020. And also 70% of all investor DDQs that we uh, get now that we respond to have ESG related questions. So we fully expect that number to continue to rise annually but there is uh, much more of a focus on a year-over-year yeah. basis. It sounds a lot. A lot of this is is data-driven. Uh, last question before we go to commercial break. Kay, I'll start with you. And you know, we hear a lot of things about certifications like LEED and and BREAM. And I guess you know, I'm, I'm a layperson when it comes to real estate. I know how to live in it. Um, I don't necessarily know how to invest in it. But what does it take to achieve these certifications? I realize there are probably others. Uh, but how important are these certifications? Is it the industry standard? And if you don't see those types of things, do you just go, uh, uh, that's a no-go? We view certifications as an essential tool to drive better building performance. And also, we value um, the third-party you know, validation of our ESG investment. So green certifications, LEED, BREAM, and quite frankly, others do very much matter to us. And if a building doesn't immediately have um, a green certification, what we do here is we conduct a gap analysis to determine what investments uh, in, into the property we need to make to get the asset certified. But the simple answer to your question, Jeff, is yes, certifications do matter. And those assets that are certified ultimately um, are looked at more favorably. Tom, I want to kind of close out this portion of the show with you before we go to commercial break. I want to get your response to this um, and, and how important these certifications are as an investor to make sure that you are aligned appropriately with your properties. It's a great third-party uh, verification of what you're doing. The other part of this is it really helps engage your property teams to make sure that you are running your investment really as, as well as you can for your clients. And we found that having the property teams go through the certification dramatically increases their engagement and alignment with our ESG strategies. Yeah. Well, Tom, Kea, I need to take a very quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk about ESG and sustainable policies. I think you're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine. 
a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. Today's show is powered by the Defined Contribution Real Estate Council. To learn more about DCREC, its members, and its mission, visit www.dcrec.org. And we're also going to welcome back Kaya Murray of PGM Real Estate and Tom Anger of UBS. Kaya, Tom, thanks for sticking around with us this morning. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be Pleasure. here. Thank you. Yeah, really, really interesting conversation. I want to pick up on, I want to follow up on something because as we were talking in the quasi uh, virtual green room, um, I want to talk about certifications and the S component. And, and uh, Kaya, I think, I think you have some interesting perspective here that you wanted to share. Are these certifications uh, taking into account the S component of E, S, and G? They are very focused on the E. And I do believe that there is an opportunity for these certifications to focus more on the S. Um, specifically, they could focus on DEI and governance. And so when I talk about who can focus, so we here as fund managers and investors primarily look at GRESP 
to benchmark funds against each other. And so I think an increased focus on the S by GRES and also by property level um, organizations, so LEED and BREAM, would highlight the S more than what's happening today. Yeah. Tom, you want to follow up on that? Yeah, it, I totally agree with Kaya. And, and GRESP has added questions, and I think they've done a, a far better job than the property level. And I just looking at the, the score sheet for LEED, uh, the closest they get is 20% of your score is for health and well-being and 5% on community impact. That That's it for social. The other 75% is, is all the environmental. And one of the eight for BREAM is health and well-being and no other social oriented factors. So I, I totally agree with the KS point. Let's switch gears. And I want to, uh, this is something that's always been interesting to me as ESG has evolved, um, balancing the societal impact with returns. And, and Kay, I want to come to you because how do, how do you balance that? Because a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, we're not going to get into the politics of it, of course, but there's a lot of, on all sides, people concerned about, hey, we want to have a societal impact, but then other people saying, well, what, that's not your responsibility. That's not your fiduciary responsibility. So, Kaya, how do you, how do you balance that as a manager uh, doing the right thing with that S component or the E component or the G component and making sure that um, you're getting the returns that you or your shareholders expect? So ultimately, an investment in ESG helps us deliver good risk-adjusted returns. And so we see this as the same way we see risk management as being fully integrated into our ESG process. Um, because yes, we are seeing a focus by our investors in ESG, uh, both domestically and especially in Europe. So we understand that ESG uh, um, processes and our, our ability to deliver on our ESG commitments matter. Um, and that uh, GRES, for example, um, is the way in which investors are really focused on this. So this is a fiduciary responsibility of ours. But luckily it's not, you know, it's not an all or none, meaning we don't need to choose between sustainability and asset level returns. There are many projects that we tackle on an annual basis that provide a strong return on costs. Some are simple, right? Simple projects like um, converting to LEDs, um, other things like smart irrigation systems. Uh, we run the numbers on these projects. They yield a 10 to 20% return on costs in some instances. Um, furthermore, we're now moving into, you know, we believe we're contributing to the greening of the electric grid and we are installing more renewable energy um, efficiency programs like solar, right, um, in, our, our, in, certain, in some of our communities, and then releasing oftentimes that solar to solar developers. So all of these things help contribute um, to what we're doing, and we're not forced to choose. We're not forced to choose between, um, you know, doing the right thing or the return because we're seeing the return on cost. Tom, same question for you. Is, is that a, to, to Kaya? I mean, is it? It's not all or nothing. And I, you know, I grew up in the retirement industry where people were picking funds, and ESG type funds have been around for a while. And it used to be, oh well, if you do that, you're not going to get the best return possible. But that's that's not today's world. That's not the way the world works. Yeah. I don't. Maybe it didn't well, even work that way back then. But it doesn't well, have and, to be all or nothing. Go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. No, and I and I'd say to your point, it's it, 
way back when, is when UBS started this back in 2006, 2007, really everything we did was accretive. When, and I would say up until very recently, everything was accretive. Uh, energy conservation measures, smart building technologies, uh, solar, uh, even recycling. We had an office building where we implemented recycling and it cost us $20,000 and we were saving over $200,000 by the, the waste that we didn't have to pay to, to be picked up. So, I mean, you don't think about that. Um, janitorial uh, uh, can be green if you implement team cleaning where instead of having each floor being cleaned at the same time, you have the team go to a floor and turn off the lights when they're done. That's that's efficient also. And and solar is, is very accretive. You're greening the grid and the way the structures work on a lot of the solar, there's no capital outlay, just a, a decrease in cost to your tenants and a, a check to the property. It's how does it get any better than, than no money down and uh, and uh, improving the planet and uh, and money for your investors? So I I think the one thing that has changed very recently that uh, doesn't have an immediate financial payback is an increased focus on climate risk, uh, where we've uh, UBS, we just added uh, uh, physical risk screening uh, and transition risk screening to our investment process and all new acquisitions and, and each fund. Uh, and that is more to preserve returns in the future than it is to generate cash today. But we do need to make sure that we don't have buildings that are becoming obsolete with a poor carbon footprint or are going to be subject to um, the sea level rise and, and buyers won't want them. So we're trying to stay ahead of that. So yeah. you know, risk is the new factor on top of it. Okay, our last question here, and I want to talk about public company commitments to net zero. Um, and we're also seeing regulation move in this direction. Uh, should organizations voluntarily decarbon or is it going to take, you know, I, I kind of liken regulation to, in, you know, bludgeoning in some ways. Uh, does it have to be that way? Can it be um, uh, organized and voluntary so that it doesn't necessarily have to be what people perceive as a hard fought regulation. Sure. Well, at PGM Real Estate, you know, we made our net zero commitment in May of 2021 by aligning with our, the ULI Greenprint net zero by 2050 goal. And so we understand that large organizations like ours play an important role in signaling to our peers um, and others that we need to hold ourselves accountable uh, to net zero by 2050 and it's the right thing to do. Um, and we're all on this journey together. But you know, we do realize also um, that doing so voluntarily would also be boosted by um, you know, regula a regulatory environment can help coalesce those that are a little bit lagging in our industry. And we recognize that. Um, yeah. So there are still challenges and ambiguities about net zero. And I think that's a really key thing um, to mention, you know, accounting for supply chain and occupant emissions, you know, sometimes you're trying to put things in uh, categories. Is this scope one, two, or three? And we think regulations can be a tool to incentivize uh, better, industry consensus around those types of topics. So I think working in tandem um, would be the best approach for us to get there quickly. Uh, Tom, same question for you. You're going to close out our segment. I mean, this, yeah. there's, there's a lot of good information here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what about those net carbon commitments? 
uh, is regulation needed or is it or yeah. should organizations do this voluntarily? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jeffrey. Uh, yes. On the, the commitment, uh, UBS was one of the, the founding members of the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative back in December of 2020. And we're finding that the commitments and the, the move to, to net zero are so similar. And the nice thing is the Paris Agreement, all these net zero initiatives really have the same 50% reduction by 2030 and net zero by 2050 goal. So it, it's not like we have all a multiple different set of you know, things that we're trying to pursue at once. They, they all align and, and they all make sense. And to get there, it's a combination of energy efficiency measures, uh, producing clean energy on site with solar, which you know both UBS and, and PGM have strong programs on. Uh, and then one way we're, you know, and then cleaning the grid is the third one, or the, the top three that we're trying to pursue to get there in, in very little use of the RECs and offsets. And by doing that, you really are reducing the, your risk in being in a good position when these new regulatory requirements are instated, that you know where you stand, it's easy to compare where you are, and you know if it'll be an issue. And, and one thing that'll come up is if you know ahead of time where you are, and if you have an asset that's gonna have trouble meeting a, a new regulatory environment, you can sell it. And you may be able to sell it before potential buyers know what the issue may be. Uh, I think the amount of sophisticated buyers is going to improve dramatically over the next several years, but there's a very wide spectrum right now. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Really interesting discussion, really important discussion. I get the sense we're going to be talking about this for quite some time. Kaya and Tom, thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Thank Great. you, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, Kaya and Tom. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. That wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest security news and lifestyle wellness, finance, tech, entertainment, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and, of course, at Streaming Partners. We're back again tomorrow with a look back at some of our best segments for the week on BRN Weekly. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget... Roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts, so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Are you being audited? And do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The Tax Doctor is here to help you negotiate your tax bill and reduce your stress. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts. 
but you can stop these IRS actions. The tax doctor will work with you using our years of experience to represent your case to help you get the best resolution under the IRS guidelines. Help is here to deal with the IRS to reduce your stress. We've handled thousands of cases, so we know what we're doing. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, do not call the IRS alone. Call a tax doctor now for a tax emergency analysis. Call 800-224-6439.